Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. This week, we are proud to continue with a session from the 2019 Festival of Books, curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program. This session was entitled Navegando la Vida, the stories of Manny and Juan. Authors Daniel Acosta and Matt Mendez each share their debut novels and the struggles of their lead characters, Manny and Juan, two Mexican-American teenagers fighting for identity. Toby Weiner is the moderator and begins the discussion by inviting the authors to introduce themselves. This is part two of a two-part series. You're listening to authors Daniel Acosta and Matt Mendez and moderator Toby Weiner in a session entitled Navegando la Vida, the stories of Manny and Juan from the 2019 Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program on 30 minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Welcome to the Pima County Public Library's Nuestros Raices tent. Thank you for being here at the Tucson Festival of Books 2019. I'm very honored to be here. My name is Toby Weiner. I work at the main library downtown. So welcome to our conversation. And I'll just let you introduce yourselves briefly if you'd like. I'll just say the, your name and, and your books. They're both recently young adult published novelists. Uh, so Daniel Acosta has published Iron River. And Matt Mendez has published Barely Missing Everything. So if you want to just give us a brief description of where you grew up, what brought you into writing maybe, and then we'll jump into more questions. So I'm uh, Matt Mendez. I'm a fiction writer. I've written Barely Missing Everything. It's my debut uh, YA novel. I'm also a short story writer. I have a collection of short stories out. It's for adults. It's, named, it's called Twitching Heart. I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. I was born and raised there. Yeah! And that's where, uh, that's where Barely Missing Everything takes place. I live in Tucson now. I've been here since 2000. I'm a graduate of the U of A, proudly. And uh, welcome to the festival. Okay, my name is Daniel Acosta. I grew up in San Gabriel, California of the novel. And I'm thrilled that at 72 years old, my age, not the book, the book was, my first book is published. So people say, when's your next book coming out? Well, it took me 72 years. So I would say around 144. Now, other than uh, writing instructors or, or teachers, uh, are there any authors that you might consider have mentored you through their writings that, that you look up to and think, wow, I just, I want to write like that? Or, wow, I didn't think about that way of writing. Um, any authors that just rise to the top of who you aspire to, to write like or to, to you want to be them or not be them or be up here with them? <laughs> oh, there's so many. I mean, the first one that comes to mind, and I mentioned earlier, is Sandra Cisneros. She's like on my Mount Rushmore, the very top of writers who just speak to me as a, as a writer. First, just how she moves as a writer in the world she's so generous and kind with her time and her activism and then how she switches between genres she's a poet she writes picture books she works in memoir essay and fiction so she just does everything so well as a writer and she's so versatile and so to me that's just really 
it's really amazing to be able to switch between genres like that and to be able to do that as a writer just shows how talented and smart she is so I would like to be able to, to do that one day as a, as a writer myself so so far I've I've written short stories and I've written novels but to be able to you know to write poetry and then to work on memoir and essay and to do those kind of things would be great and then also to to help other writers the way she's helped writers and and help my community the way she's helped the community are things that I aspire to do as well so for me she's kind of the example of how to be a writer in the world today okay <laughs> i think of um contemporary writers i'd have to say that my favorite writer is walter mosley um he wrote uh, a whole series of books about um, being a black African, an African-American living in Los Angeles from the 40s through the 80s and 90s. I haven't caught up with all his books, but I love how he, when he describes other African-Americans, he always mentions their skin tone, what, how light or dark they are, and, and uh, I, I kind of do that in my book. Uh, when, when you meet various people, my narrator gives them a physical description uh, so you know what sort of what they look like. I like Walter Mosley because he captured the Los Angeles f from the eyes of an African-American person with the prejudices and the opportunities. Uh, if you lived in an all-black neighborhood, um, there was a lot of freedom within that restricted area. And uh, he he tapped into all those um, those stories of the black community in Los Angeles and and uh, I, I'm encouraged by that and of course I love the the Western writers the classic Western writers Bret Hart Mark Twain uh, uh, John Steinbeck I love the physicality of Western literature it isn't um, intellectual and uh, snooze fest like some of the Eastern uh, Ivy League literature. I like stories that have action. I'm sorry, you know, I watched cartoons as a kid and and cartoons are action. I love action stories. I used to love to read those horror comics when I was an adolescent and, and I just love those kind of stories. So my characters are always doing something and not just thinking. Less thinking and more doing. All right, thank you. So I always like to ask authors as well, how does it feel to be here at, at a huge literary event? Um, here at Little Old Tucson, we're a huge literary community, and you really are rock stars here, <laughs> in our community at least, in our eyes. Um, how does it feel to be among rock stars? Oh, it, it's a dream come true. I mean, I was just telling my wife this morning how nervous I was going to be just to sit up here and then to be part of this great event and to have a book coming out or to have a book come out early it doesn't come out till tuesday but it's it's, it's so uh for sale. it's for sale today yes but i mean it, it publishes nationwide on tuesday and it's it's a dream come true for me and it's it's amazing to be here and have the chance to share you know my my work and my art with everybody here it, it's amazing awesome awesome uh, dream come true is uh that's the operative word here it's a miracle it's a miracle i wrote the book and it's a miracle that Cinco Puntos Press saw what I saw in it, and maybe more, maybe less, I don't know. But it's a miracle that they published it. They put their money and their reputation behind it. I'm a nobody, you know. Uh, I couldn't find a, uh, an agent because I'm a nobody, and I haven't previously published, and I'm not a celebrity or the wife of an ex-president. So, um, and, and I'm happy for Michelle Obama. 
Uh, no, I'm not being sarcastic either. I'm, I'm happy for anybody who has a book published because it's hard work. It's hard work to write a book, and you put yourself out there, and you, somebody says, you peed your bed when you were a little kid, and then when you were 12 years old, you were still peeing your bed? Is that true? And I say, yeah. yeah. Never thought I'd tell a whole bunch of people that I wet my bed until I was 12 years old, but there you go. What can I say? I don't care. I don't care anymore. I keep harping on my age. <laughs> I don't care what people say about me anymore or think about me. And so it's a joy to just put myself out in this book and to have, to have you come here and listen to me talk. There's other things you could do with your time. And so I'm grateful to you. And I'm grateful to my publisher. I'm grateful to this festival. Grateful to my co-panelists here. It's, it's just a wonderful ride. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know how long it's going to last. But I'm just thrilled to be here, and that's enough for me. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you. So um, if anyone has questions, make sure you raise your hand to let me know. But I, I guess I'd also like to ask if either of you have a question for each other, anything that you want to know uh, about what you've read in, in each other's novels or what you've heard about each other, confirm any or deny any rumors. or. I got a question for Daniel. Whoa, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how much I'm getting paid. <laughs> oh, go ahead. So how long was that story waiting to be written while you, were, while you were working as a teacher? Well, 34 years of teaching, but even before that, I think uh, when we threw those, the fruit at the hobos, that left a kind of a scar on my heart and I had to write the book you know I've thought about it ever since then not every day but you know from time to time that throwing fruit at hobos and wondering if we hurt anybody and how stupid and how juvenile and insensitive and all those things to do something like that and then realize ah, I was only 12 13 um to answer your question, uh, yeah, these memories have been bugging me for decades, for decades. But they also had to have a context. You know, you have five things that don't seem similar, that don't seem related, and you have to keep looking at them until you eventually see how they fit together. And doggone it, they do fit together. You just have to find the, the key to put them together not not unlock them but lock them together yeah and i have a question for matt which came first the character or the story well that's a good question i would say uh well for this book the character came first so i was sitting at a writer's conference in uh, vermont when i had a short story published at a, at a small little literary journal and the editor had sent, uh, she had a couple of questions and she was doing some fact checking and I had talked a little bit earlier about the Texas Department of Justice website and the last words of uh, one of the characters, it, it was another, I guess I'm preoccupied with death row apparently, one of the characters in that one was also on death row and she wanted to know if that was true about, uh, about uh, death row inmates last words so I sent her a link to the website to show that it was indeed true. And while I was on that website, I found an, an inmate on there who had my exact birthday, the day and year. And of course, me being a curious person, I clicked on the link and I, I found out uh, where he was from, 
I found out what crime he had committed. And then uh, on the day he was uh, admitted into death row, the, the month and year was the same month and year I had gotten my BA here from the University of Arizona. So for me, it just started asking a lot of questions like, what happened in this man's life that he ended up on death row, and then I ended up here, or I ended up at this writer's conference. You know, I was working on my first collection of short stories. I was talking to an agent at that time. I mean, that didn't work out, but I mean, I was in this place where, you know, my career was beginning to move forward, and for me, it just started asking all these questions, and me being a curious person, I immediately began researching and starting to work on this book, so like this character began to build in my head it's like well you know I wanted to answer this question how did I end up at this writers conference and how did this man end up on death row and then that's where the character of Mondo began and that's the, the story began to just trickle off from there and then a quick 10 years later here we are <laughs> a quick 10 years later well thank you and so kind of related to that I was going to ask were these stories novels when, when they were first conceived or were they a short story that expanded? Or did you just always know, like, this, this story is big enough for a novel? Because you had already written some short stories. Mm-hmm. Did you just know that this was a bigger story? Yeah, I always knew this was going to be a novel. And as I began to, to write it, it centered kind of as Mondo as a central character. And then that character began to take a backseat as more of my life began to bleed into the story. Mm-hmm. Like a character like JD who wants to go to film school is, you know, kind of autobiographical. And as my life began to bleed into the story, that kind of took a, a backseat as drafts began to happen. And as, you know, my life began, my past life began to uh, take more of a center role into the story, that began to seed uh, into the background. And while I still think it's a prominent part of the story and is an important integral part of the story it uh, kind of fell to the background but it, I had always envisioned this thing as being a novel and it just has uh, multiple point of view characters in her but it very much functions as a novel for my part yeah I, I knew it had to be a novel because I have a lot of characters in this in this book um, that I wanted to talk about and bring them into the story and uh, I didn't I didn't I wanted the challenge of a novel but Basically, these characters have been bugging me all my life. And so that finally, when I had time and energy to spend on fictional characters, they demanded to be in the book. They just insisted on it. They haunted me. And I had to put them in, otherwise I couldn't sleep. You know, And so these characters couldn't be in short stories. Uh, it's just too fragmented. They needed to be in the world of Manny's experience his exploits and um, so it had to be a novel to fit all these people in it you're listening to authors Daniel Acosta and Matt Mendez and moderator Toby Weiner in a session entitled Navegando la Vida the stories of Manny and Juan from the 2019 Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program on 30 minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Well, as I was reading them, I had to make notes to myself because I was trying to keep the story straight. The settings helped because they were different times, and so that was good. But there were so many characters, like minor characters, but still played a prominent role in the story. So I, I had to write their names down so I could kind of keep track of everybody. But but if anyone has any questions, um, please, yes. And if you want to come up, you can kind of speak right in the microphone. Thank you. 
I was asked walking down a street uh, after a presentation of some poetry, why do you do this? Why do you do this? And I had never thought of it. It took me another two blocks to come up with an answer. The answer was plus one that, that I came up with. I, why, why do you do this? Why do I write? Why, why do you do Why do you write? Do? Well, because the, the stories are just in your head and you have to get them out. Yes, the stories are just in your head and they're in your mind. And for me, it was to, for this novel, it was to answer that question of, of me being the writer's conference and, and the guy who was on death row, his name was John. And to me, it was to solve, to answer that question. I had to know what was the difference between the two. And to me, there's, there's not that much difference between what happened to me and what happened to John. The, and that kind of, of what goes in that title of Barely Missing Everything. There's just these small differences. Our lives change on these the little degrees, these small little choices. The circumstances that we grow up in really affect our lives and the outcomes of our lives. And I think that's... The, the main thread of the novel is that these boys are growing up in these environments where a lot of the circumstances are beyond their control. They, they, grow up in, they grow up in poverty, they grow up enduring racism, they grow up enduring substandard schools, and they can't mm-hmm. control a lot of the circumstances that they're in. And if, in reading Daniel's book, it's the same circumstances that they were growing up in. And, yeah. and uh, no matter if they're trying to make the right choices, outcomes still don't turn out right for these boys. Yeah, and right. it's just this legacy of poverty, this legacy of racism. And uh, I'm very fortunate to end up where I've ended up. And Amen. John, who's made a couple of really bad choices, ended up where he ended up. And a lot of it has to do with the circumstances he was raised and born into. Um, at, at, Thank you. At this point in, in my life, I don't believe in muses, but maybe someday I would. Maybe I don't. Thinking back, I didn't believe in the muse. I, I believed in paying attention and working hard. Pay attention to people around you. Pay attention to what they say and how they say it, how they walk. That look that people have to let you know what they're thinking or their mood. Uh, how people express their broken heart or their pain, and very often they express their pain inappropriately to others. Um, you pay attention, and pretty soon the story will start tugging at you. Uh, first of all, the, the character will say, look at me. Look past what you see and look a little deeper. And um, there's a character, well, Uncle Rudy, who's the, the, the junkie on parole, there's a, a mountain. If you look from the front porch of Manny's house, past the railroad tracks, there's Mount Wilson in Los Angeles. That's where all the TV towers are. And on Mount Wilson, there's a, what looks like a heart with an arrow going through it. And one day, Rudy and Manny thinks he's the only one that sees the heart because he tells his friends, look, look, there's a heart. And nobody else can see it. So Manny had asked Rudy, his uncle Rudy, why did your life end up like this? And they're standing on the porch looking out at the mountains, and he says, you see the mountain up there? Do you see the heart with an arrow through it? And Manny is flabbergasted that somebody else knows about it. Man, and then Rudy says, well, when I see that heart, I think about your grandma and all the, all the pain I have caused her by the things that I've done breaking the law, going to prison, getting in trouble. She'd have to beg judge after judge to give me another break, humiliate herself, and then I would blow it and go back to jail. 
He says, but someday if you're in Alhambra or Los Angeles or El Monte, look at that mountain again. You won't see the heart with the arrow through it because you can only see it from this point of view. If you tweak the point of view a little bit, it's not really there. It's there, but it's not there. It depends on your point of view. And so um, I left it at that. And, and he goes off on some other thing. I left that for the reader to think about. Um, maybe people aren't what you think they are on the surface. Uh, you get to know them a little better and you discover, well, there's a reason for that. Or, oh, I understand a little bit. I'm not, maybe I shouldn't be so quick to condemn now that I know a little bit more than I knew before. And so uh, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> well, I don't. Are there any writers out there? Because I don't know if any of you have ever tried to write. It's very difficult. I've written a few little things for our website, and I'll tell you, it's. I admire your work because writing is hard work. Writing is hard work. So now, other than your accomplishments as writers, is there anything else in your life that you're very proud of as as an accomplishment? What's your What's your greatest accomplishment? You think other than writing and publishing? Well, I'm pretty proud of being a dad. I'm a, I'm a good husband and a pretty good dad. Those are my two little girls right there. So I'm proud of that. How about you, Daniel? Oh, um, I would say that my greatest accomplishment is a joint effort between my wife, Linda, and I. Um, first of all, in September, we celebrated 48 years married together to each other. So 48th anniversary. <laughs> And we've raised four children to adulthood, and I'm very proud of those adults. They're, they're loving, lovely, beautiful people, and I have uh, four grandkids that I just eat up. They, they eat me up alive, and I love, love the heck out of them. So I love to spoil them and then send them home. That's, that's, that's fun. So I think my personal life, my, the love of my life and all that has resulted from that are and it's not just my accomplishment, but I worked hard, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A any other questions? I think, uh, <laughs> yes, to answer to both of those, there's the external conflict, and in my novel, there's tons of it, and the internal conflict of wanting to be a good boy and wanting to be, in my Mexican-American community, um, honor and... and uh, Honoring your family and disgracing your family, you know, there's a lot of shame that, you, uh, that took place. Uh, people would talk. It was a small neighborhood, and people would talk, gossip about people. And, and uh, children at a certain age, were made, it was made clear to us uh, that we represented our family. And so we better be good. Be, first of all, if you do something in one end of the neighborhood, it gets to home to your grandma before you get home. You know, the, um, the grapevine gets there faster than you. Um, so a lot of the conflict in, in Manny and his friends are internal, that wanting to be good boys for their parents so they don't give them any trouble. At the same time, you just had to throw the fruit at the hobos, you know? I mean, you just can't help it. And then after you do it, you go, oh, my God, what do I do now? You know, because my dad's going to find out and he's going to be really <laughs> mad at me but disappointed in me because he's counting on me 
I told one of my grandsons the other day, your dad works hard and all he asks you to do is to be a good boy in school and do your best. That's your job. Anything else, you complicate his job. And I hope it, it took, uh, took root with him. But yeah, there's internal conflicts. I don't know that I planned them that way, but I just, dealing with the external conflicts will sometimes uh, uh, lead you to those internal conflicts or vice versa. So I say yeah to both. Well, I think when, when you're writing a story, the world that the, story, that the story takes place comes with its own set of problems and external conflicts that'll put pressure on the character. So, so the very beginning of Barely Missing Everything starts with an external conflict. So it's these boys are at a party, and the party's getting a little loud, and then so there's immediately the cops show up. Yeah. So your main characters have a decision to make right away, and then that's when... That's when you have your characters make a choice, and then from those choices, then balloons out all sorts of other external conflict that's going to happen that is that is a result of choices your characters make. Because there's you know there's always cause and effect in the story, and that's kind of where I, as a writer, let my characters' choices kind of lead the story as far as uh, plot goes. I'm not a very uh, I don't outline when I write or have like these certain plot points that I hit in a story, but I like to let my characters' choices kind of lead the story of, uh, or lead me as far as plot goes, is where the story's gonna go. And then of course, all the, there's these eternalized pressures that these characters have, their wants, their needs, their desire, that drive those choices. Like what does my main character want? They're young, they're coming of age, they have all these hopes and desires that they want. So when these, the police come in the story, their instructions to run away. So that causes all sorts of chaos and problems for them because then, of course, the police are going to chase them. And they're afraid, they run away, and then they're being chased by police, and then they make the choices after that. So then, you know, the plot's off and running. They have all these fears and the pressure, like you said, the desire to be a good boy, the desire not to get caught, the desire to do the right thing. It's all internalized with the character as the story moves forward. So both those things are working in tandem when, when you're writing a story. And it just kind of helps you as a writer to push the story forward. Forward and then it keeps my uh, it keeps my thumb off the scale, so to speak, to have the my desires, how I want the story to turn out, to make it you know schmaltzy or have the ending that I want. Because I'm having the characters themselves drive the action. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention Matt mentioned uh, something that struck a, a memory. I, I like in this book. I enjoyed planting. I call them Easter eggs. I'll throw in a detail that maybe the reader will wonder, well, what's that? What's that about? But if you're patient, maybe 150 pages later, it comes up again and you go, oh, oh, I know. Um, there's a scene where the bo uh, Manny and Danny, his best friend, have a dare crawling sideways. Who can get closer to the, to the train as it's going by? They're crawling on the right-of-way. And uh, the, they're terrified, of course, and the train almost sucks them up into the wheels, but just as this is about to happen, the train goes by and they're safe. And so whew, they both breathe a sigh of relief. They look up at each other. Well, actually, Manny has his head down and he hears a, a pigeon cooing. And he looks up and, he's, and he sees this pigeon pecking and looks at him and then it pecks away at the ground. And he says, oh, that must be one of Mundo's pigeons. My editor said, who's Mundo? 
be patient. You'll find out who Mundo is. And when you get to Mundo, it's kind of like, yeah, I grew up in that neighborhood. I know who Mundo is. You know, it's, it's sort of a payoff 100 pages down the line. You find out who Mundo is, and you'll understand about the pigeon. Now, it could be a real, no big deal. It's, it's not a plot turner. But it's just the kind of stuff that's fun, that makes writing fun. You throw in these little things and see if anybody catches them. That, that's a lot of fun. So if you buy the book, and I hope you do, look for Mundo's Pigeons, and now you have a clue that the payoff's later on. I don't know which page it is, but it's back there. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Thank you all for being here. Um, I think we did a good job of no spoilers. Okay. I will admit I gasped reading both of these books. One gasp you already did reveal when the kids were thrown. I gasped. I that shocked me, and that was early in the book. Um, but but again, there's there's more to be had than what we've talked about. Thank you all. Thank you, authors, for participating. Thank you, Thank you very much. Right. You've been listening to a discussion entitled Navegando la Vida: The Stories of Manny and Juan from the 2019 Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program. Authors Daniel Acosta and Matt Mendez have been discussing their debut novels and the struggles of their lead characters, Manny and Juan, two Mexican-American teenagers fighting for identity. Toby Wayner moderated. This has been part two of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30-minute program page at kxci.org. 